Emily Padilla. Emily's somewhere here, and I'd like to invite her. Come on up and give Emily a hand. As uh, Jace said, um, every um, 10% of everything that comes into the church, we send back out to support uh, local and global missions. And Emily is one of those that we support. We've been supporting you for seven years, eight, eight years in Zambia. So um, because she's here present with us, we wanted to give Emily a chance to share a little update on what she's doing. She'll also have some African merch. Yes. No, stuff. <laughs> so, uh, Emily. Yeah. Thank you. Good morning. Here so that the whole oh. world can see oh, you okay. right there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Good morning. Uh, it's wonderful to be here and to see all of you today. I, um, I'm always blessed to be able to come back and share with you. Now, I'm giving just a very quick update, which is always hard because, you know, how do you explain years worth of happenings in, you know, five minutes? So <laughs> I'm just going to give you a tiny nugget of what I do and kind of where we are right now. And you are welcome to please come find me after the service if you want to know more about what I do, what the ministry does. You can also talk to the, the missions team, and they can help you with that too. So as he said, my name is Emily Padilla. Vineyard has been supporting me for eight years now. I attended Vineyard before I left to go there. And... Um, so you guys have been a huge support for me these, this whole time, and so I appreciate that and thank you for that. So I work with a ministry called New Life Center in Kitwe, Zambia, and we do a lot of different things, but we work a lot with um, education. So we have preschools, we have a computer class, we have after-school tutoring, and then we also do um, community development, like we have a couple feeding programs that we work with, we also do church development, so we do a lot of trainings and seminars for pastors and leaders and the youth. And then we also work with the disabled. So we have a ministry that's called PET, it stands for Personal Energy Transportation. And what they are, they're three-wheeled kind of bike carts <laughs> that people use their hands to actually pedal with. So these are people who don't have use of their legs or don't even have legs sometimes, and they are immobile. So this cart is a way to provide them and give them the gift of mobility and show God's love in a very practical way. So when I first went out, I was a teacher with the after-school tutoring program, and then about four years ago, I transitioned onto the leadership team in a more administrative role as the ministry coordinator. So I work a lot with our director and just helping making sure things run more smoothly. Uh, the areas that I focus on a lot is, is the pet ministry and then also the preschools. So that's kind of my areas of focus. So just like the rest of the world, um, COVID has affected us. That's kind of the main update, I think, since I've seen you guys last. So COVID has affected us in two big ways. One is funding. You know, I economics are hard right now, and so we've uh, lost some of our funding while people are getting back on their feet, and then also a lot of government restrictions. So last year, we had to close down for about four months, and then this year, we had to close down for two months, and even when we were allowed to reopen, everything was scaled down. So instead of having 30 kids in a classroom, we could only have 12 because of social distancing and things like that. So everything is... Well, most of the things are still going on. It's just in a very scaled down version of it. Uh, we would ask for your prayers. We just continue to try to serve the Lord 
and do what we can with what he's given us, even if it's a little bit less than what we would normally have. So we appreciate your prayers in that. Um, for a personal update, I've also started taking some grad classes this year, um, working on an intercultural uh, ministries uh, master's degree. I decided to pursue that for a few reasons. Um, with ministry being a lot slower, I have some more time on my hands, and I want to make good use of that time and not just waste it. I wanted to continue to grow and learn and develop as a leader and as a missionary, and I'm already seeing some fruit from that, so that's wonderful. And it also kind of gives me some more opportunities potentially for the future. So that's kind of what I'm doing personally as well. So uh, again, thank you for all of your support. And if you want to know more about what we're doing, please feel free to come and talk with me. Uh, like I said, this is just a small little nugget. <laughs> so uh, please come see me if you have any more questions. And thanks again for all of your support. Great, thanks. If you want to stay here, we want to pray for you. I'll take that. If Let's stand, and if you want, just reach out your hand. We're going to pray for Emily. Anyone who's on the missions prayer team or any of the elders, if you want to come up and just lay your hands on Emily, it's good to pray. Okay. Jane, do you want to start? So one or two of you can pray. God, thank you for Emily, for sustaining her, Lord, for providing for her, God, for that you never have um, left her ever, 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 and you'll never leave her, Lord. I thank you, God, for all the work that you're doing through her and the ministries over there. And Lord, I ask that you would just give her more, Lord. I pray for more, more of you, Lord, more, everything she needs, God, for this um, next year. Father, would you just deposit, make deposits in her. Would you refresh her, restore her while she's home, God? Thank you, God. We ask, um, Holy Spirit, that you come and fill Emily again, even as you fill her spiritual, her emotional tank as she's home. We ask that you bring your um, a deep provision of your extravagant love would fill her heart once again. Just pray that she would know your nearness while she's here and that she would walk in the nearness of you as she goes back. We thank you for her faithfulness and we worship you, God, for your faithfulness in and through her. So bless her in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Okay, be sure to head out afterwards and um, see what else Emily is doing. You may remember the pet program a couple years ago in, in a scandalous moment. I drove one of those pets up in the middle with the little arms, you know. It's a, okay. Everyone has a very fond memory of that. Okay. Um, how many of you thought about Dirk Willem at least once last week? Remember the guy I talked about, you know, who was burned at the stake after freeing the man who was trying to capture him. And, you know, um, my wife Jane said, did you see the look on people's faces when you said he was burned at the stake? It, because everyone kind of had this, like, shocking, and I, and I thought, um, why is it that when we hear a story like that, we're shocked? And I wonder if uh, sometimes we have the sense... Um, because of the very Western way that we look at um, Jesus and the gospel, that if we put our faith in Jesus, then everything will just be okay. 
that if, if we just, you know, put our trust in Jesus, that um, not only were our, were, will our soul be saved, but somehow we won't have any difficulty. We won't have any trouble. That it'll just like smooth sailing. And we, we are a church that believes in God's miracle-working power. And at the same time, a church that follows the humble, sacrificial king of the universe named Jesus. And so I just wondered if... Um, God was offering us as a church a little bit of a corrective, just to remember that as we think about all that God does, can do, is doing, his power, as we, as we trust him, there is also a sacrifice. There is, there is also this reality of when we follow Jesus, persecution um, comes to us. It's a promise of the scriptures. All those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not the scripture you want to put up on your, on your fridge usually, but it's a reality for us. And so I just think it's important as a, as a church, you know, the Vineyard Church claiming the radical middle, uh, the power of God and the, and the power of the gospel, that both of those we remember that um, the power of God is, um, is manifest in so many ways, but the major way the power of God was manifest was in the love of Jesus giving his life for us. And that's the one we follow. So, um, so that's what I have to say about that. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Though some parts of you are, are veiled for us in mystery, we trust you. And though maybe we haven't seen you face-to-face like the, the, the disciples who walked with you, the reality is we are closer to you than they because you're in us. And so I ask for that awareness. God, would you wake us up this morning? Wake us up this morning to the reality of your presence, your love, and your power. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're in this uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it Kingdom Living. I titled this morning's message, Living It Out, because my personal sense, this was just not for you, but for me, is that um, even though we're taking three months to go through it and, you know, we're going to do it through Advent, it feels like we're sailing along. I just feel like we are rushing past verses with so much... um, transformative power, and, and I didn't want to just rush past these things. So I'm kind of go, going to go backwards. I'm going to circle back and pick up a few things that maybe we haven't touched on. And really this morning, I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to ask some pointed questions that I, that I think the Holy Spirit would want to use um, to help us get a, a picture of our hearts as seen through the eyes of Jesus, not for the purpose of condemnation, but for the purpose of invitation into the reality of his presence, this kingdom lifestyle that we've been talking about. Um, Two weeks ago, Adam addressed some big issues, um, anger, lust, divorce, and other fun topics. And uh, actually, I I said to Adam, it it was an awesome message. There was a lot of power on that message, a lot of conviction on that message from the Holy Spirit. There's one verse that that was in his passage that he didn't give a lot of time to, and I feel like the Lord brought me back to it and said, that's because, Randy, you get to do it. So Matthew 5, 23 and 24. 
This is what Jesus says. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. I made it um, through four years of college and four years of seminary not understanding what that verse was actually saying. It was years after seminary that I was reading through that passage and I realized Jesus was saying, if you come to the altar, if you're bringing your heart or your worship to God and you realize that another person has something against you, you should go and be reconciled. In my brain, I had always read that if, if, um, if you have an issue with someone, you should go after them. Do you know what I'm saying? I've always read it that way. I've always thought of it as like, you know, if you're coming up to, to give your gift or to worship, you know, and you got, you're in a pickle with someone, you're like agitated that you, you know, husbands and wife, <clears throat> you know, you should go and forgive them before you come. And you, you come with a clean heart, you go and forgive them. And that is true. Jesus says that, but not here. Here, he says, when you come to the altar, in other words, when you're coming to worship or to give your gift or to sacrifice to him in some way, and you recognize that another person has an issue with you, it is your responsibility, your invitation to go to them and be reconciled to your brother and sister. Am I the only one that ever sort of saw that backwards? Just somebody say, you're okay. Thank you. And it changed the way I walk into worship when I realized it. Because it is so easy, I have found it anyway, it's easy to be sort of um, uh, smug with, you know, if somebody's got an issue with me, they got to be grown up enough to come and, you know, talk to me about it. Anyone ever done that one with the little, right? You know, you're a responsible adult. If you have an issue, come. People will say, are you reconciled with that person? I got no issue with them. And just when you do it that way, you're saying, I got a big issue. I'm just not going to own it. What Jesus is saying is, own it. I I don't think there's any way to get around what Jesus is saying. You come to worship, you walk into church on Sunday, you go to your your small group, you're coming to give your tithe, you're taking communion, and you recognize there's a person out there that has something against you. You get to be the Jesus that goes to them and says, I think there's an issue. It, 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 it puts the responsibility on the one with maturity to go after the one that might be stuck in immaturity. We don't blame them for that, but they might be stuck in some immaturity. And can you imagine the unity of the church if we were to walk into church all around the world as believers, followers of Jesus, with this mindset? I walk in, but there's someone who's got an issue with me. Before I come to worship, I want to deal with that. Imagine the reconciliation that could happen. I'm just now thinking about what some of us are facing in a few weeks when the joy of Thanksgiving comes and we gather with our extended families. And there are some issues out there. We bring them, they bring them. What if two weeks before Thanksgiving, some of us made those phone calls and said, you know, mom, dad, sister, brother, child, cousin, I think there's an issue between us. I think I did something that hurt you. I, 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 just, I just feel that. Could we work that out? I love you enough that I want to have a hard conversation. What if we did that? Might change the uh, Thanksgiving tone a little bit, I think, for the better.
And Romans 12, 18, Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Again, I think Paul is saying what Jesus said, take responsibility for your relationships. And I'd like to point out that I think when Jesus says it and when Paul says it, I think it is for us as much as them, maybe even more so. Because it's very easy to push conflict off and saying, it's not my problem, it's not my issue. Imagine if Jesus had taken that attitude towards our sin. Hey, that's not my issue. We'd, we'd be dead in it. And Jesus invites us. This is joyful invitation to walk in clean relationships with other brothers and sisters and with people that don't know the Lord. We get to imitate the love of Jesus. So I'm going to ask a question, and I'm going to take maybe 30 seconds. I'm going to do this a few times, so get used to the silence and just let you be before God in the silence. Is there any relational rift in my life right now that could possibly possibly be healed if I were to initiate. Just take 30 seconds with that. Any relational rift in my life right now that could possibly be healed if I were to initiate. Holy Spirit, we trust you to bring those people to our mind. We don't need to go digging around in our own heart, but we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do your digging and turn on your searchlight in our hearts. Show us where we have a chance, an opportunity, an invitation for reconciliation. Amen. The next three verses that we would, uh, would be looking at, if I weren't sort of going backwards today, is Matthew 6, 1 to 3. And um, it's kind of a funny text in the context because Jesus is talking about hiddenness. He's talking about, you know, don't, um, don't do your giving or your praying for everyone to see. And it's, it's funny in the context because um, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I gave a message, I just, called be, I just called it Be Who You Are. It was from Matthew 5, 13 and 14, where Jesus says, um, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and then glorify God who is in, in heaven. In other words, unless you do what Jesus says, they won't see the Father that they can glorify him. And like four seconds later in the message, basically, Jesus says, but don't do anything in front of people. You're like, Jesus, let's make up our minds here. Um, in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, I think the point that Jesus is making is for the sake of the world. Think about this. If the world doesn't see the good works of the followers of Jesus, how can they then see Jesus? We are his hands and feet. And so I think Jesus is saying, don't let yourself be hidden. Don't hide yourself because for the sake of the world, they need to see the power and the love of God. 
if they don't see the power and the love of God, how will they be open to it? So he says that for the sake of the world. I think in Matthew 6, 1 to 3, he makes the point for the sake of us. The invitation into our hearts. The world won't see the king unless we follow the king publicly. But we can't follow the king unless we follow the king humbly. There's what's seen out there, and then there's what happens in our heart. The world can't see the king if we don't follow the king publicly. If we don't show what it, what it looks like when Jesus walks out in our bodies in this world. But we can't really follow the humble king unless we follow him humbly. In other words, the reason for what we're doing has got to be for the sake of the world and for the sake of the king, not for the sake of the doer, not for my sake. And so Jesus lifts up hiddenness, living out the righteousness of Christ from a humble heart that seeks only the glory of God, not the glory of me. And I, I am prone to this like, like everyone. Um, in some ways, maybe more, I get to stand up and talk to you a couple of times a month for a half an hour or 50 minutes. And I can give illustrations from my life, and I can give illustrations from my life that make me look like an amazing individual. Or I can give illustrations of, from my life that reveal who God is in a normal average person. I can tell the same story with two motivations. One gives glory to God and encourages your discipleship, and one gives glory to me and diminishes my soul. And I'm, I can't be the only one dealing with that temptation. When we talk about what we've done, when we do what we do, the motivation behind it, I'm, I'm not saying don't do a good thing until you're perfectly pure, otherwise you won't do anything. But in the purity that Jesus brings on this side of the cross, the righteousness of God in Christ that you are, when that shows itself in the world, let that be for the sake of the world. Let that be for the sake of the king. And Jesus says, if you do it all out there for show so that you get glory, you've already received your reward. And I'm just telling you, I haven't been to heaven, but I'm pretty sure we want that reward. We don't want this reward. We don't want more likes on a social media account as our reward. We don't want people talking about us the next day as our reward. We want the king of kings saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the reward that we're looking for. God knows and he looks at and he focuses on the heart. Adam started us with that a couple of weeks ago. All of these things that happen, they start in the heart. The heart is always the focus of the Lord. And so I'm going to ask this question and give us some time just to be quiet before God. Do you regularly allow the Holy Spirit to search your motives the content of your heart before you give, serve, or pray? Do you regularly allow the Holy Spirit to search your motives? Holy Spirit, come, just, you know, show me a picture of why I'm about to give, why I'm about to serve, or even why and how I'm about to pray. Let's just take a minute and pray about that. God, will you come and invite us into your heart?
the hiddenness that Jesus speaks of presupposes that we're actually living out the kingdom lifestyle. And so just a reminder how this sermon of Jesus finishes. We'll get there in a couple of months from the end of chapter 7 in Matthew. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it it had its foundation on the rock. Secure life coming from someone who hears and does the words of Jesus. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It was that verse that, you know, caused me to want to kind of go backwards and cover these things again, because I didn't want myself or any of us to just walk through the Sermon on the Mount and not have a chance to put into practice what Jesus said. We need strong, powerful um, uh, lives in Christ out there for the world to see what it looks like for someone not just to hear the words of Jesus or say the words of Jesus, but live out the words of Jesus. And there's an important distinction I want to make, and I, I don't, uh, I just say up front, I don't know how well I'll be able to communicate this because I'm in learning mode right now. This just, this hit me last week. I was walking on the road and it hit me. And so I'm, I'm just trying to find words for it. And Dallas Willard will help me. An important distinction, there's a difference between doing what Jesus did, acting as Jesus acted, and being the type of person who loves as Jesus loved. Let me just say it again. There's a, there's a difference between doing what Jesus did acting as Jesus acted, and actually being the type of person who loves as Jesus loved. This is how Dallas Willard says it. He, Jesus, calls us to him to impart his life to us. He does not call us to do as he did, but to be as he was, permeated with love. I've read over that statement, I don't know how many times, reading this book, and like, yeah, I get that. And I realized, I don't get that. Because I think for years I've said, we've got to do what Jesus did. We've got to act like Jesus act, you know. And, and as we practice that, we become more that, not like really fake it as you make, make it as you fake, fake, you know what I'm saying? Fake it till you make it. Not so much that, but I, I think I have said in the past, you know, if you just do what Jesus did, eventually it'll kind of work itself in. Well, I, has that really been our experience? Transformation is always an inside job. I mean, Jesus is always talking about the content of the heart. So this just struck me, and I won't give the exact example. It's a little too embarrassing and shaming for me to tell you exactly how God said this to me, but it hit me really hard. And I realized, just honestly, I am not yet in my heart able to love as Jesus loved. There are places in my heart that the love of Jesus has not yet reached has not yet brought its transforming power. So many ways I can look at my life and say, I think I, I think I act like Jesus sometimes. I think I do some of the things that Jesus would do. 
But when I look down at the content of my heart and my motivation, so often I realize I'm, I'm even doing that to look like a person who follows Jesus. As opposed to being permeated by the love of Jesus so that I am the person who loves my enemy, who prays for those who persecute me, who blesses those who want to be mean to me, who cares for the person who's trying to hurt me, the, ty- the type of person who would, who would turn back from their fleeing from prison to help their persecutor live so that their persecutor could take them to their death. If we focus on the action or the deed, then we're striving for the righteousness of the Pharisees. We're trying to do the right thing as the end goal. I, again, I, I hope you can hear this the way I mean it. I'm not saying don't do good things. I'm all for good things. My last name's Gooder, Jeepers. Do good things. Do gooder than me. You know, go for it. But what, I, what, what I'm saying is where we're moving in our discipleship is not just acting like Jesus or doing what he did, but allowing Jesus to become so much who we are that he oozes out of us, that we're, 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 we're knocked a little bit and out of us comes the fruit of the Spirit. You can't will that. It, that is God's will, but we can't will it. So there's some sort of surrender involved. Jesus, come and do your work of love in my heart. If we focus on the action, the deed, we're striving for the righteousness of the Pharisees, trying to do the right thing as the end goal. But if we focus on the heart of the doer, just, do, you know, the heart of the doer, we can experience the righteousness of Jesus because that's who we are. At the risk of going way long and boring everyone to tears, I got to read something. I read this this morning. It just was a part of my normal reading, and it's, it's from the 6th century. It is in English, but it's a little challenging. Eric and I have already discussed this. But would you just would you close your eyes and just listen? This is St. Columban. He was an Irish saint um, sent to the, to the peoples of Gaul. That would be France today. And this was his desire for the work of Jesus in his own heart. He says this, How happy those servants whom the Lord finds watchful when he comes. Blessed wakefulness that watches for God, creator of the universe who fills and overflows all things. May he deign, that means may he kind of bring himself down from his high place to do something special for us. May he deign to rouse me, poor creature, yet his servant from sloth, and so fire me with divine love that the flame will burn more brightly than the stars. And the yearning for his love and the divine fire itself may be forever a conflagration in me. That means the two get together and they're bigger than each individual. Would that my merits might allow me to be always a lamp in the Lord's temple, receiving unfailing light from your unfailing light, and thus illuminating our darkness and dispelling the world's darkness from around us. Put your light into my lamp, my Jesus, so that it may show me the holy of holies, which receives you as you enter the eternal temple. 
the eternal temple. Then I may see you and gaze on you and desire you without ceasing, and my lamp of love will burn ever before you. We knock on the door, show yourself to us, our loving Savior, that we may know you and love you alone, that we may desire you alone and contemplate you day and night. Inspire us with the love that you, our God, deserve. Let love invade our whole inner selves and possess them wholly, filling our thoughts with you so that we may love nothing but you, the Eternal One. Then the many waters of our world will not extinguish our love. All this can come to pass if you grant it, Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I realize there's a lot of words in there, but man, I read that this morning and I thought, this 6th century saint, had it going on. I mean, he was after Jesus. He was after him. I mean, he was pursuing Jesus with everything he had. And I think he must have recognized that the love of God doing a work like that in the heart of a man could change the world. And I think that that's what we're called to. So let's take a couple of minutes and look back at some of the things we talked about last week and ask some questions. First, so that we can see the status of our heart, so that second, we could be rooted and grounded in love, so that third, we could be the kind of people who live from love. Last week, we talked about choosing integrity and communication and commitments, about courageous vulnerability even in the, in the midst of conflict when attacked, and the willingness to give beyond the requirements and to give to those that wouldn't normally uh, expect us to give. We talked about choosing to love our enemies and to pray for them, choosing to engage with, to accept. I think Jesus would go so far as to say, embrace those who are different than us. Choosing the path of teleos, of wholeness, of healing, of maturity, of perfection, like the Father who created us. Courageous vulnerability. How do I respond when I'm offended? Sacrificial lifestyle. Am I willing to be open and generous no matter what? Am I willing to, to be the one like Jesus who would give even to the one who wants ill for me, who wants to hurt me. Jesus might say it like this, do not resist the evil one and do not turn away from the one who asks. He might say it positively like this, embrace those who are different than you. I, I think this is one of the primary challenges of the believer today. Not to, I'm not saying we have to agree with one another on everything that's floating out there in the stratosphere, but we do have to embrace one another. The world will not know that God the Father sent the Son unless we embrace one another in the kingdom, unless there's unity in the kingdom, unless we love one another 
as Jesus loved those who had different opinions than him, like you and me. And so a couple of questions, and I'll just give some time. Is there any relational conflict in which I am defending myself, avoiding, fighting, or ignoring, instead of standing courageously in the midst of it with an open and a vulnerable heart? Is there any relational conflict in which currently I am defending myself, avoiding that person or conflict, fighting or ignoring it, instead of standing courageously in the midst of it with an open and a vulnerable heart? God, will you take these moments to search our hearts? Is there any person or type of person that I routinely avoid because my heart is not open to them in a Christ-like manner? Is there any person or type of person that I routinely avoid because my heart is not open to them in a Christ-like manner? Last week, we talked about the content of the heart. How do, we, how do we choose to feel about our enemies? How do we choose to act towards our enemies? What's the motive of our actions? And I kept saying, you know, this is not a new law, but this is a new way to live, a kingdom dynamic, a kingdom lifestyle. I read an article recently. It was an article written by a, a, a Christian writer about a relatively outspoken Christian politician. I won't say who the person was. That's not the point. But in this article, the, the writer um, quoted sort of a lengthy portion of an interview with this relatively outspoken Christian politician. And at the end of, the, um, at the end of this interview, one of the things that this politician said was, I think we have finally found the right people to hate. That, that was the comment. Um, and the writer went on to make the point, as followers of Jesus, there is no right person to hate. And I think that the point that the author was making is, ha have we allowed some of the, the attitude of the world to come into the way we relate to one another and to the world? when you see the love that comes through Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and then you just kind of put it as a mirror to, men, you know, how we walk out there in the world, even as believers, there's, there's a difference. And so can we, can we take that, can we agree that there, there are no right people to hate? There are things to stand for. There are things to speak against. But there are no right people to hate. 
if we're following Jesus, who said, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. What happens in your heart and your mind when you see or you hear someone who stands for something you feel is wrong or who opposes something in which you passionately believe? I didn't say, what do you say? What do you do? I said, what happens in your heart? I mean, I'm not the only one that turns the radio on or the TV or picks up any sort of publication and has this thing, you know. (laughs) Anyone ever feel that in the last 80 years? So here's the question to be before God with. Realistically, do I have an enemy? Or do I have enemies? And how do I currently choose to feel about and act toward my enemies? In my mind, in my heart, in my personal or my public speech. Is there any person or group of people I feel justified in my animosity toward? Think about that one for a minute. Aren't we having fun? Jesus is right here with us. He's right here with us. Are there, are there, is there any person or group of people that I feel justified in my animosity toward? Animosity is just a nice word for hatred. When, if we were to begin to justify our hatred, we would not be following Jesus. Are these people or this subgroup in my prayers? Jesus just said, you've heard it said, hate your enemy. He says, love your enemies and pray for them. How do you pray for a person who you love? Is there anything that the Holy Spirit would want to show us this morning in our hearts that we'll need to let go of to make room for the love that comes from Jesus? Is there, is there anything this morning that the Holy Spirit brings up in you or in me? Lovingly pointing out that we'll have to let go of that thing, attitude, opinion, obsession, in order to allow the love of Jesus to fully embrace our hearts. I finished my message last week talking about how I was talking to Jacqueline Furness and she had was saying she recognized that the fruit of the Spirit were weapons. And it had such an impact on me last week as I thought about that and it affected how I prayed about the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. By the way, it's Jacqueline Furness's birthday today. You might want to say, woo, to Jacqueline. I don't know if she's here or she's watching online. 
here's the last question I'll ask. Which fruit of the Spirit do you hear Jesus telling you to take up right now in your present assignment? If Jesus was going to hand you a weapon this morning, and there were nine options, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Which one do you think Jesus would be handing you in your present assignment on this earth? Let's pray. God, thank you for mercy dripping from heaven for us. Mercy that you do not give us what we so clearly deserve. And thank you, God, for grace revealed in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, that you give us what we could never deserve or earn or create for ourselves. Thank you, God, for the gift of the Holy Spirit in us, making us more and more like Jesus. Making us the people who love as Jesus loved. And I ask now, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would create in each of us a deeper capacity to receive your unconditional love and grace from heaven, to surrender to it, to be changed by it and to allow the love of God to pour out of us. We confess this morning we cannot do it without you. But with you, we have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ. I ask God that you would teach us to walk rooted and grounded in love and practically to keep ourselves in the love of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Uh, if the ministry team will come forward, that'd be great. I'm just going to invite you if you would like someone to pray for you this morning. Maybe it has something to do with the message or maybe uh, you've got a physical need, you need healing in your body, you've got an emotional issue, you've got a place where God is speaking to you and you want to surrender or a place where you're desperate and you need his touch. Um, and one other thing, before I got up to speak this morning, I was, you know, Jane and I just were taking communion. I felt this uh, incredibly deep sadness I'm in a, believe it or not, I'm in a really happy place today. <laughs> but I felt this really deep sadness. And to me, that says there, there's someone here or maybe a couple of you that are walking in a really deep sadness. And if that's you, um, don't walk away, walk forward and just have someone on the ministry team pray for you. The Holy Spirit is present to you in the midst of that sadness. And he's here to bring comfort. He's here to bring love. He's here to bring life. He's here to pour out grace, and that's why you're here.
need a couple more people from the ministry team. If you could come forward, that'd be great. And I'll pray for us. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Holy Spirit, come. And I ask for the courage and the faith required to walk forward and to receive prayer. And I ask God for the work that you want to do in us to be done. And I pray, God, for the fruit of your discipline. Righteousness and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like someone to pray for you, come forward.